This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. So, Dave, does the number 250 mean anything to you? Hmm, let me see. It, you know what? What I do recall, it's probably the number of times that you've told me that Bob Granger told you to mend your line. Now, who is Bob <laughs> Granger again? <laughs> oh, yes, he's a, he's a dear fly fishing mentor, a good friend. No, actually, Dave, the number 250 is the number of flies that you've lost in pine branches. <laughs> I would say that's true. Just of the last trip when we took to the Driftless, I had one of those days recently oh. that was so bad. It was like, how many flies am I tying on today? I bet it was 50. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, 250 is probably, uh, yeah, from a small sample size of fly fishing <laughs> for me. Uh, a lot of flies out there in various parts of this country. You know, if you had one of those maps and you could kind of put the pin on every one, that the map would look pretty colorful and cool. Well, actually, 250 is the number of podcast episodes we have recorded. Yes, this is episode 250, so it is a milestone of sorts. Uh, we have been doing this so long that we don't have a clue how to celebrate this. I don't know. We'll probably both go to bed early tonight. Huh? <laughs> yeah, at our uh, age, you know, the best thing we can do is go to bed. That's celebration in and of itself. Yes, that, that's right. Yeah, maybe we could eat a slice of pizza or or uh, uh, do something. Um, Certainly not run four miles. No, no, we, we wouldn't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Priscilla and I could come down to Wheaton again. We could try to find a COVID-free place to go out to eat. <laughs> can't remember if we talked about that in the podcast that we got together. Well, no, I think we talked about, hey, we're going to do this. You know, we recorded a podcast, and then my wife and I came down to Wheaton, and we went to the restaurant, and it had been closed for like an hour before they discovered one of their oh, uh, workers had oh, opened. So, that's right. They're, the yeah. restaurant we had the reservation at had worker or two, a worker or two that had COVID. They had not, well, they had sent me a voicemail, but I had not picked it up. And so we walked to the restaurant. It was closed. We're like, no. Hey, it, it has been five and a half years, really, since we started thinking about yeah. this podcast. Mm -hmm. And we took a break last year doing every week, but we had done every week for five years. And what was it? Uh, well, four years. No. We're in season six, actually. Yeah, we we're in season yeah. six. So it has been five and a half years, right? It has been yeah. five and a half years. Yeah. So 250 episodes. My gosh. I, I didn't know that I knew that much about fly fishing, which I think it shows that we that I actually well don't. we well we don't Dave we really don't yeah we we have 125 episodes worth of, worth of know how and then there's another 125 episodes of just blowing smoke I guess yeah talking about going out to uh, restaurants that have COVID so yeah th there you go huh? <laughs> no but it is a pretty cool milestone isn't it hey 250 and uh, I've I've enjoyed it uh, you know. 150 times we've gotten together and yeah it's been good 
Yeah, it has good. been good. Well, uh, here's to the next 250, <laughs> if, if, our, if our listeners can handle that. <laughs> so today on uh, Magic Number 250, uh, we want to talk about a great place to fish for trout that a lot of fly fishers overlook, at least initially. When you're on the river and you're fishing nymphs or streamers, you're trying to go deep right near the bottom. On the other hand, if you're fishing with a dry fly, you're trying to get it to ride high. And, and so as one of our guides told us to do, you gink the heck out of it. And Well, you know, was, that, you, was that what he really said? Gink probably not. Heck yeah, out that, of it? That's, yeah, that's right. Probably not. But, uh, you know, it was probably gink a lot of things out of it. But yeah, that's that's what we do. You know, we have all these uh, ways of trying to get that dry fly really dry, so it rides on the surface. But today we're going to talk about one of those in between places where you can catch a lot of trout, and that place is the film. Now, when we talk about the film, that's not the stuff that you used to put in your camera, right, Dave? I think that's right. <laughs> Awkward no. pause. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's right. So, no, uh, it, it's not the film and the camera. Uh, our friend Gary Borger, who wrote an excellent book, actually is part of a series of books. But the book is titled Fishing the Film. And in his book, he says it's the layer immediately under the surface of the river or stream. That's what the film is. The layer immediately under the surface of the river or stream. And he writes this. The film itself is only a few molecules thick. But the biology of the film occurs on it, in it, and a few inches just under it. And then he says, contrary to popular opinion... Quote, the film zone is not a place where fish feed merely on floating insects. Instead, it is a feeding area rich in food on, in, and immediately under the surface, unquote. Well, that's fascinating. It has implications for fly fishing. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. But, you know, Davis, we've thought about this before. I know you've, you've said that uh, we have to think about the film not so much as just another technique, but as a whole different way of approaching fly fishing. You know, unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? So much of fly fishing is caught rather than taught, and and initially, when you start to fly fish, you're just trying to catch fish, and you toss those big bugs on the water. You can see them, and often you have success. Sometimes you don't have success. If it's in the summer and you can fish that caddis, you might get some hits on it or if you're fishing a small brookie stream. But over time, if you're not catching fish on a dry fly at the top of the surface, you start to struggle. And, you, and, it, it, and the struggle, I think, comes from a wrong mindset. You don't really understand, as Borger talks about, the film. That is... It's a whole different mindset to think about how should your fishing change as you think about this film in which flies sit on it, flies get stuck in it, and flies are right underneath the surface of it. And, and it's not just flies, right? It's also those helgramites and other 
bigger aquatic insects that, that fish feed on. So I think as we think about this, to me, when I read this about the film, I started to think, okay, how should I think about my fly fishing differently? Everything, almost every aspect of it. So to me, it's a mindset about how to fish and thinking about the film overall as you think about how you're going to approach a river or a stream. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, when we've talked before about insect hatches, when those insects are emerging, that's often a place where they get stuck. Some of them, some of them make it through, uh, but there's a, you know, there's a significant amount of insects that just don't make it through the film, so they get stuck there. Well, that, that's where fish are going to be feeding. In fact, Borger goes on to say that there are two basic places where fish feed. In streams, fish feed basically on the bottom and at the film. And what you're saying, Dave, is that we often approach fly fishing with this mindset of, I've, I've got to get down at the bottom. But Borger said, hey, fish are feeding at the film. And that has to change the way that we think about fishing. So that leads to another question. Why do fish feed at the film, uh, even with all the food at the bottom of the river? Borger talks about that fish have three basic instincts. One is to survive. One is to eat to live, which is part of that. And I think the second, or the third one, excuse me, is is to reproduce, right? And so they're feeding at the film, on, in, around the film, because that is where the food is. And, and that's just, that's kind of basic science, which is probably why they're not in that mid-current. They're either at the bottom, where the nymphs are, or they're at the film, which is at the surface of the river. He says as well that trout will feed at the surface at times other than doing a hatch. He says uh, they look up because it's a place where food can be found. <laughs> it seems rather obvious, but uh, uh, it, it's good to remember that. So I guess the question then, Dave, is what do we do with this information? So we're, we're changing our mindset. We're going to say, okay, not only am I going to drag the... You know, the, the bottom, and, and not only am I going to try to get that dry fly riding high, but I, I have this whole other in-between layer uh, called the film. Uh, what then, what strategies then is that going to give rise to? I mean, we've talked about this as a mindset, but the mindset will lead to some strategies. So what are some practical strategies that we can, that we can use? As I was thinking about this, I thought about, I need to recommit to terrestrials. And it's not just hoppers, but also yeah. beetles and ants. And Borger does say this. He says, in meadow streams of the western United States, more than 50% of the summer, what he calls film food of the trout, they, it consists of insects, beetles, wow. parachute ants, hoppers, of course, Think about that. So I think I think adding a beetle at, or an ant pattern as a dropper, I remember that last fall when we were at or fishing the Yellowstone River in the park, and I put on this beetle pattern that I picked up, and it would sit just beneath the film. It wouldn't float. It would float sometimes, but as soon as it got wet, it would, it would submerge. And I remember catching uh, this beetle, Big cutthroat. Well, well, big. I don't know if it was big. It was you know, 15 inches. Big to me. But That's big. Yeah, it's a big cutthroat off of that thing. And it was one of the only fish that I caught in the morning. Now, we started to have 
better luck in the afternoon. But it was, as I remember, as we went up river, it was the only thing I had caught for the first hour or two, but it was, I caught it off that beetle. So the importance I think of, if you're thinking about film as the film as a strategy, I think it means, or at least includes fishing more terrestrials and different kinds of terrestrials. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and something you said kind of leads to a second strategy that we might employ. And that is, don't strip in that submerged dry fly too quickly. And man, do I ever need to drill this into my head because I, I can get rather frustrated and patient. Oh, great, my dry fly, I, I can't see it. Of course, we all want to see our dry fly. But I've had some times, Dave, and I'm curious if you have too, where I have, I've noticed, oh, yeah, my dry fly disappeared. Let me yank it in to dry it off. And I've noticed that, uh, well, maybe 10% of the time I have a trout on the line. The other 90%, I, I see uh, a trout coming for it, and I've just pulled it out of its mouth. Yeah. I'm convinced on some of those. I've, I've watched it enough that I don't think they were rising for that fly until it disappeared into the film. And, man, as soon as it hit that film... You know, here they come. So that's a, well, I, I think that's such an important one. I can't tell you how many fish I've, I've probably lost and a few that I've caught because, yeah, my flies disappeared. So what you're saying is maybe we should let the fly continue its natural drift before you lift it up, even if you see it sink. And I think that that swing at the end of the drift can be another place where uh, they'll they'll pick that up. If if you're on the surface and you swing it, it's just going to you know snowplow or or kind of water ski through the surface, and no trout's going to look at it. But that same fly, if it's in the film, you can you can have that swing happen, and boy, then the fish will take it. So yeah, yeah that's an important point. The corollary to that is at the end of your drift, if it is in the film is to slowly lift your rod up before you pick up your line. And that can often uh, imitate like an emerger pattern coming up through the film. And sometimes you'll get a hit at that point. So, so what else, Dave, what else would you uh, say strategically that we can do as part of our film mindset? I think another is to try stripping your streamers at top speed a couple inches down, as opposed to always being concerned that they sink to this certain level. In fact, we had this episode a couple uh, episodes before this one. I don't know if it was two or three. We interviewed Dave Cumling, and one of the things that hit me and struck me as he talked was that streamer is not down two, three, four feet. He's casting it to the shore, and then he does this twitch method, which we talked about, and it's not that deep. Yes, it's maybe a foot sometimes beneath the film. But I think if you think about your streamer not being down so deep, now, yes, you can also catch fish at the bottom, right? So if you intend to fish the bottom, that's one thing. But just consciously thinking about your streamer being closer to the film, I think that will help catch fish. You know, that insight is gold because, again, how many times... You know, I, I just I just thought of this right now, Dave, and you said that. How many times have I thrown a streamer in and before it even has a chance to sink, boom, here comes a fish. Or the other thing is once that thing gets to the surface or close to the surface and I've stripped it in a couple more uh, 
uh, you know, strips. Uh, wow, here here comes a fish. So, man, I, I think that's something that, that I'm going to try to practice. That is is to see if uh, I can pick up more fish just by, yeah, just by coaxing that thing, you know, just below the film. That that might be a really might be a really great technique. After our conversation with Cumling on streamers, I realized that I'm probably going to give up Euro-nymphing because it's one more thing to do. So uh, I, I really, really think that I can be much better at streamers and catch bigger fish with streamers. So obviously I'm going to fish nymphs and fish dry flies, but I'm really committed to fishing more streamers. I just think bigger fish and more fish are out there given his methods. You and I have fished with him, and he literally has caught 10 fish to our one, and we had a great day. I mean, we've had some really great days with him, but his days are so much greater (laughs) right alongside of us and and watching him fish streamers. So this point I think is really important, is, is really thinking about streamer fishing in the film as opposed to thinking of it only at the bottom of the river. Yeah, I think that's great. I think we've got some good leads here. So what we're saying is, first of all, fish terrestrials and and the smaller ones, uh, don't strip in that submerged dry fly too quickly. That was the second point we made. And now we've said, uh, try stripping a streamer, you know, uh, just a couple of inches down. Uh, Maybe a final one that uh, kind of goes back to that previous thread of discussion, but I think it's its own point, is... Uh, to drop a soft hackle or an unweighted nymph off of your dry fly. Again, this is something that sits in the film. In other words, you you could drop off another dry fly. That's fine. But how about something that sits in the film? And I think you've done this pretty well, Dave, with, uh, I forget what pattern it is, but I know you've got a couple soft hackle patterns, or at least one that you really like. And I, I had success with that, too, even in the dripless one day where, uh, that seemed to be the fly that they were taking. And my dry fly turned out to be more like my strike indicator. Uh, they were just going after this little unweighted nymph that's just floating there in the film. And uh, uh, I, I think that's, maybe that's not the first thing we think of. We think, oh, I want to put on a smaller dry fly. I want to put on a different pattern or a different size. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe go with something that's floating in the film. The two that I use not always, and they're not really, probably don't fit the category of soft hackle, although the WD-40, I don't know, I don't know what that is, right? Uh, it has wood duck feathers, and it's, doesn't, it looks like nothing. I mean, it's such a nothing-looking fly, but man, I've had great luck with that. The other one is the Olive Serendipity. I remember three or four years ago, I was in Denver and your brother took me to Bear Creek where uh, oh, yeah. where mm-hmm. you often have fished and it's right along the road. So it's not like this secret spot, but I just threw on that olive serendipity. And I think I had, I think it was, it was, I was dry fly fishing with a, I don't know, remember what I had on top, but it was all the olive serendipities. They hit every one of them. Well, all the fish I caught, I should say, hit, hit the olive serendipity. <laughs> My point here is that both the olive serendipity and the WD, 40 sit in the film so to summarize what we've talked about today we're saying that fishing the film is not merely about dry fly fishing and here is gary borger one more time i I think this statement in his book fishing the film really uh, sums it up he says 
fishing the film means plying our craft in the upper foot or so of water, swinging wet just under the film, stripping a big streamer at the top speed a couple of inches down, or perhaps even fishing a dry fly uh, wet. Uh, end of quote. So, again, you don't always have to go deep. You don't always have to go high. If you want to catch fish, uh, change your mindset and really think about fishing the film. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from a while ago. I totally missed this, but uh, this comment's by Steve in northern Indiana on our article, Five Reasons You Need a Waiting Staff. I kind of got a kick out of this. He says, the three stages in a fly fisher's life based on the waiting staff. Stage one, invincible. Waiting staff? I don't need no stinking waiting staff. Stage two, getting a little older. Waiting staff? Huh, I wouldn't go anywhere without my trusty waiting staff. Stage three, the final years. Waiting staff? I'm not going anywhere near water that would require a waiting staff. Steve in northern Indiana currently enjoying stage two. Oh, that <laughs> is perfect. Yeah, isn't that good? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is that is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think in the last few years you and I have uh, moved into stage two, haven't we? Absolutely. And I think stage yeah. three, I think of that last scene uh, of A River Runs Through It, where Norman McLean is standing at the river's edge and he makes some comment about how people don't think he should fish alone. I forget the exact phrase, but he definitely yeah. is in the final years where he's still catching fish. He's still fishing. But he's not going anywhere near water where he'd even need a waiting staff. Yeah, yep, that's very wise. So, yeah, thanks, Steve. I think your, uh, I, I think your grid here is uh, just about right, and we can really relate to it. Well, that'll do it for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson, and I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two guys in a river for the love of fly fishing. <laughs>